Broadcasting from Singapore and broadcasting all around the world. You're listening to the Ignite EdTech Podcast with Craig Kemp, created by an educator for educators and streaming to the world. Now, over to your host, Craig Kemp. Hello and welcome to episode 97 of the Ignite EdTech Podcast. I'm your host, Craig Kemp, and I'm honored to have you join us. As most of you know, I continue to work with the incredibly talented Mark Quinn to improve the final audio quality of this podcast. He has his own podcast production studio that provides editing and mastering services to content creators. To connect with Mark, please see the details in the podcast notes below. As we're approaching our 100th episode when we come back in August, we're seeking your audio feedback so we can play it back in our 100th episode to celebrate this milestone. We'd love to hear from you by following the link in the description below to submit a 20 to 30 second message about what this podcast means to you and what you've learned from engaging here over the past years. Please check out the link and record a short message to appear on our show, speakpipe.com slash igniteedtech. I appreciate your engagement and support. Last week, I asked you about flipping your classroom. Thank you for your thoughts and ideas. This week, I wanted to ask you about your biggest career milestone. And what's made you the most proud? Let's celebrate each other's successes. I'd love to hear from you. Please reach out via our Ignite EdTech social streams. A tool that has positively impacted the authentic and purposeful use of technology into classrooms and meeting rooms that I have worked in is Remind. Remind is an education-focused tool for communication. It allows you to send two-way text messages to students or parents wherever they are. You can use this tool to share classroom updates, check in on students, make sure they're keeping up with video content or communicate with parents. With Remind, you get the benefits of texting without having to share personal details with students and families. Text messages are sent in real time so you can keep your families and students updated. It also helps you reach parents rather than relying on your students to remember to pass along announcements. Remind Chat is the platform's free text messaging option. Teachers can upgrade to Remind Hub, which offers video conferencing integration, longer messages, language translations, and organization-wide messaging. Remind Chat is usually sufficient for the classroom teacher. Messages can be translated into over 70 languages. Parents and students can respond to messages, but may independently decide to disable this feature. Teachers can share text audio or video messages as well. They can also share links, files and images. If you're using the tool with kids under 13, parents must provide email verification. After a confirmation text, they'll begin receiving all messages through either SMS or email. I've seen Remind used in multiple contexts for educators and for parent communication. I've not seen it used with students, but with secondary students, I can see this is a great tool to engage them in communication. I highly recommend that you take a look at the link in the description below. Remind.com. Last week, we talked about flipping the classroom. If you're interested in learning more, go back and listen to last week's episode. This week, I wanted to talk about STEM and STEAM. Something you've probably heard of around your school or at events over the past few years, but often it's something that people talk about, but often don't walk the walk. STEAM is a way to take the benefits of STEM and complete the package by integrating these principles in and through the arts. STEAM takes STEM to the next level. It allows students to connect their learning in these critical areas together with arts practices, elements, design principles and standards. STEAM removes limitations and replaces them with wonder, critique, inquiry and innovation. 
STEAM education is an approach to learning that uses science, technology, engineering, the arts, and mathematics as access points for guiding student inquiry, dialogue, and critical thinking. The ultimate aim of integrating STEAM into our classrooms for learners of all ages is to support them in becoming thoughtful risk-takers who engage in experiential learning, persist in problem-solving, embrace collaboration, and work through the creative process. These are the innovators, educators, leaders, and learners of the 21st century. The beauty of bringing STEAM learning to your classroom is that there isn't a single recipe that works for every student or teacher, as long as you follow a few best practices. But that doesn't mean you can't play with the context of your curriculum to provoke authentic learning across multiple core subjects. Here are my top five tips for embedding STEAM in your classroom, no matter where you are and what you do in a school. Number one, understand STEAM. It's not subject focused and it should be embedded and integrated into all areas of your teaching and learning program. It is not a tick box activity done as a standalone subject. Number two, give options rather than a set outcome. By providing your students with a rubric and the freedom to produce their own end product, they'll surprise you with how creative they can be. This approach prepares our students for life in the real world, where projects are more open-ended. Number three, start small, but think big. Start by connecting daily lessons with each project. Often, teachers complain they don't have time to do STEAM, but the reality is that they're already doing it. We just need to be a little bit more thoughtful about the experience. In order to get started, STEAM could and should be integrated easily into all subjects, even writing, reading, and mathematics to reinforce content being taught. Number four, be flexible, because learning is messy and different. As you start to incorporate more STEAM into your daily routines, you'll notice that things can get messy when you don't manage or control situations, and students in their learning and processes it can be unpredictable, but that's part of the beauty. True, authentic learning does not have a script or a lesson plan. It lies in the teachable moments, experiences, and conversations that lead the class in a different direction than you predicted. Embrace these opportunities and encourage your students to push boundaries, try new things, and take risks in their learning. Number five, let students lead and keep an open mind. When students are in charge of their own learning, they are choosing how they want to express themselves. While you may feel that one or two methods would be best for sharing what they've learned, they may be processing the information in a unique way. I've learned from experience that letting students have that control can backfire at first, but the students truly learn from these mistakes. I've had students propose ideas for projects that seem completely crazy or boring to me, and the other students are excited and complete some of their best work yet. I've learned that real learning can occur anywhere, anytime, and it's our job as STEAM integrated educators to be right beside or just behind, not in front of our students on the journey. One of my biggest fears when starting the integration of STEAM into my classroom was always that my students would know more than me. They'd know more about technology, more about topics, and more about engineering. Guess what? They do, and that's the best part. So as you start embarking on embedding STEAM in your classroom, don't hesitate to reach out to me or other educators online that have done this before. Find some colleagues who think the same way as you do and work together. Share your journey and ask for help. You'll make mistakes along the way, but that's okay. If there was ever a perfect time to push boundaries, try new things, and integrate STEAM and technology into your classroom, it's now. We're in the most transformational time in human history. As we get closer and closer to the break for many of you, plan for it and get excited about it. And for two free months of access to EduSpark on me, 
Email me now, craig at eduspark.world. Over these two months, you'll see many of our new features go live and they'll become a reality, so make the most of it. I'd love to hear from you to learn more about STEM and STEAM education from your perspective. Please reach out with your ideas and thoughts. Every week, I bring you a short interview with some of my edu heroes, an engaging learning experience with someone who makes a difference in education every day with a particular focus or angle towards educational technology. This week, I had the pleasure of chatting with Joel Laban. Let's have a listen to the chat. Today, I have the honor of speaking with Joel Laban, who I've been connected to online and I'm constantly inspired by his work and passion for teaching and learning. Joel is going to be the director of DEIJ for the International School Services and was most recently an elementary school learning specialist and instructional coach at ISKL in Malaysia. He's also a committee member on inclusion, diversity, equity, and anti-racism with the Council of International Schools and an editorial committee member with TIE. Joel is a professional development leader and is highly sought after, particularly with his inspirational work with DEIJ and strategy for schools and coaching to support. Joel, it's a pleasure to have you on the show today. Are you ready to talk about education and cultivating a diverse, equitable, inclusive, and just world? Hi, Craig. Thank you for inviting me today. Um, it's really, it's really wonderful to be to be in your space, the Ignite EdTech podcast, and I'm ready to have a conversation with you around the transformative power of education in international schools. I'm so excited to have you here. Why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about your current role and what inspires you to do what you do? Yeah, my, my current role is a school-wide DEIJ lead here at iScale. We just finished a couple of days ago, and so I finally have left the school. I've been at iScale for four years now, and um, my, my role is a learning specialist, an instructional coach, and then it evolved into a school-wide DEIJ lead. What it involves is that it is, it's really curating professional learning and action taking um, within our own community. It's also leading the five different committees that we have in our school in our effort to to take actions um, on, on DEIJ. Yeah, I love it, Joel, as well. And I love the work that you share out. And in particular, you and I have talked about this before, the power of sharing that voice out and helping people not just talk the talk, but actually walk the walk. And that's what I see from you. And obviously moving into your next role, um, that's a big part of it as well. What inspired you to step up and, and be the lead in this space and, and want to take on this role? And, and how did that community support you? It, for many black and brown folks in international school, I think a lot of our inspiration, I don't know if it's really around inspiration or a reckoning of the harm that we've experienced in white, white-centered spaces in international school. Um, primarily this this leads me this question Craig leads me to think about my experience as 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 an educator as a teacher in the classroom where I had black and brown kids before and I felt like I felt like I was I was I was teaching my kids elements of of learning or or stories and narratives and identities that did not reflect who they are and so it made me think about what are some of the harm that I've inflicted in, on, on the kids that I've, I've taught throughout international schools when all of us, when I was a teacher, all of us were leaning in on white-centered stories, you know? And so for me, even being able to shed my own identities and not put my full identity into, into my classroom 
I wonder what are some of the elements of, of my being and my thinking and my experience and my narrative that my black and brown kids did not even see and were not able to, to, to learn from. And in the same manner as the same thing that I'm also not getting from the kids that I have, just because we were leaning in, we're only looking at windows into the lives and stories of people that do not reflect the full identity that we have. And so for me, the, the inspiration around this is that how can we provide like what Dr. Rudin Sims Bishop had mentioned in her seminal work around mirrors, windows and sliding glass doors into the lives of our kids. And so for me, we always talk about diversifying our books, but also the an important element there's also the human beings, the adults that we have in our own communities that our kids learn from and listen to and experience learning with. We are also windows and mirrors and sliding glass doors for them. And what kind of what kind of stories and narratives and identities can we offer them and provide them in our own institutions? And so if we have a, a, a homogenous identity, so homogenous narratives, homogenous stories, homogenous ways of being and leading and learning. I wonder if that only benefits a specific identity in our own community. And so the inspiration behind this is really coming from a place of understanding the stories of harm in our community and what can we do now as educational leaders, as leaders of the classroom, as leaders of families, what can we do to ensure that we are transforming the stories of harm into stories of hope healing and real transformation in in schools that we are we are a part of. Yeah, I, you've summed that up so beautifully, Joel. And you know, as an experienced international educator myself, we see this every day. You know, this this happens every day. And I'm excited about the journey that you are on and you're going on. And I'm really interested in your journey as an international educator as well, like bringing all of these experiences together that's taking you on this journey. I know a lot of listeners to this podcast experiencing the the idea of maybe I should leave and go on an international school journey and, and teach in a different country or in a different environment or with a different curriculum. Um, there are a lot of people thinking about that. I'd love just for you to briefly share some of the, the pros and cons of your international school journey. You know, what's inspired you to get out and try new things and take risks and, and be in a different country? Yeah, different international school teachers have different experiences around moving into international schools. There are there are many international school teachers that are predominantly in white Western countries that have moved into different international schools just by the very nature of the establishment of international education all across the world. But there are also some of us who are sort of outliers, sort of people who are from, from the global majority who don't have the white Western passport, who are journeying into international education. And it's a very, we have a very unique experience because it's not always an easy experience. It's not always an experience that doesn't come with with racism and linguistic injustice and hoops and loops with visa application and regulations of countries who don't see our passport the same way as they see a white Western passport. And so our journey, and again, I, I can't speak for all of us, but, but the journey of a person from the global majority is a different experience. It really is coming from an experience of being othered. And, and so many of us, those who are also starting 
starting out in international schools, in our own host country international schools, are also experiencing um, a different level of perception about who we are. We're always questioning our own assumption of competence. And, and this goes back to that whole idea that the question you had earlier, Craig, around what inspires you to do what you do. And it goes back to how are we looking at these experiences from a place of how has it harmed international school educators who are from the global majority? And so for me, moving into a different place in space I think the initial work there around applying in international school outside of my home country is that to be able to to experience how it is to be perceived as worthy of of my own value because there are times when we are in our own host country we're not seen in the same manner and the same way as our white and western counterparts and so initially we did not think about it that way. Many of us probably just think about it as, okay, I'm going to move internationally to experience culture, to experience a different way of, of living, a different way of experiencing the world. But then now that we are becoming more aware of it and reflecting on it as an international school educator, I think I moved out because I wanted to see my own worth and value in a different place and space. And yet the, the challenge there is I was also, as I moved out, I never realized that it was also experiencing the same level of harm and, and, and trauma of being a person of color in, in the international school. You know, I initially, I, I basked in the tokenism that I had back then. It's like, oh, I'm one of the very few Filipino international school teachers. And, and living in that was, was, you know, it was, it was a colonized mindset. It was a mindset of like, okay, I'm here. I made it here. I was also not intentional about, about inviting other Filipino teachers to be a part of, of the international school world. As a matter of fact, I also speak about it that it is a very difficult experience. It's, you know, you've got hoops and loops around this. And that in itself is harmful. That in itself is harming others who could have been international school teachers, who could have been, who could have been educators for a lot of our black and brown kids in, in international schools where they can see, where these kids can see themselves in, in the, in the lives and identities of, of some of our teachers. I think that's, that's a kind, that's one of the pieces of the journey that I'm, that I would like to share. There are a lot of pros and cons. And I think it goes without saying, you know, the pro, pros in there, like, you know, the living a life of privilege that comes along with international education. Education. One of the as soon as you talk about this, I Joel, I I think of the work that Alan Fan and Apana are doing with the Diversity Collective and developing this recruitment agency that values diversity and and I love this work and I love this idea of how can we action this and that's what really has excited me about what you're talking about now because it's not just talking the talk, it's walking the walk. And you do a lot of work supporting schools and their strategic approach to diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice. When you work with some of these schools or talk about some of this work with people, what are the key elements that schools should be focusing on? And how can schools take this to a level beyond just talking the talk, as we've discussed before? Yeah, different schools approach DIJ work differently. And there are many entry points to the work on, on DEIJ, but I think one of the most essential or a key element as an entry point to this work on DEIJ is understanding the harmful experiences of black and brown folks 
in international schools. I think what is really important here is, are we truly listening to those harmful experiences that a lot of our black and brown folks have experienced in, in our schools, both for students, for teachers, host country nationals? I think that is that is an important starting point that educational leaders need to, to look into as we start this work. Oftentimes there is a, we have a proclivity for let's take action immediately and, and solve it and, and transform schooling and do all of these action taking. So Joel, with this work that you're doing, you know, what is the responsibility of leaders in our school? Yeah, I think, that, I think that the really critical work that leaders need to do is to be able to have their own, deeply examine their own identity, deeply examine their own power and positionality, and deeply examine the whole impact and influence they have in the transformation of international education. And when you talk about their own identity, that means being able to go back to to their own early socialization. I know we back here at iScale, we we lean in into the the framework that was designed by Bobby Harrow that talks about the the cycle of socialization and how it leads into the cycle of liberation. And so the cycle of socialization has the the genesis. You know, we were able to to understand our own story of who we are our race, our gender, our, and then it moves into initial socialization at schools. What are some of those parts of our story, of our lives, of our identities that were affirmed? And what are some of those that are also shamed or rewarded or penalized? And how these early socialization has been an imprint or deeply ingrained in our own ideologies, because from those ideologies, it also forms our behaviors, our action, our beliefs. And so if I have been socialized to believe in a certain way, some of those actions and and decisions that I have has impact on, on other people. And so there are some of those behaviors and actions and beliefs that I also need to reimagine. You know, growing up in, in the Philippines with a colonized mindset, you know, we've been, we've been conditioned to believe that success, beauty, achievement, live in white bodies, that is a socialization growing up. And that is creating an ideology, that is creating a belief. And so for me, if I don't reimagine that, I will always be as an educational leader even though I am a, I identify as a brown person, as a brown leader, I can be, I can continue to hire white folks in international schools if I were to be hiring, because that's how my social socialization has been, has informed my decision. Because I only see the, I have the assumption of competence on white folks, and so to me, it, it, it's that kind of. How can we reimagine for all education leaders who are thinking about diversifying their staff? How are we going beyond our own initial socialization, our initial beliefs, and really unpacking, dismantling some of the status quo that we've been conditioned to subscribe to in order for us to truly move into the cycle of liberation where we can be free ourselves and that we can also support in the liberation of others? You've done so much Uh, already in your career, what's your next big goal? What do you want to do or achieve that you haven't yet been able to do? And I think right now, I mean, I can, I can see this question, Craig, as as one, as one that is very individualistic kind of question. It, it asks a question around my, myself, but I, I see myself as part of a collective, a collective goal. So I think to me, 
I see the next big goal for all of us, educators in our national schools, black, brown, white folks, is to really see what can we do How can we support the transformation of international education to be more humanizing, to become more inclusive, to become more equitable, to really put justice at its core? And I think that is the that is the important collective work that we have, that we can bring in as much diverse identities, voices, and narratives into our own space. Because when we do this transformation in our school, our children will benefit from it. Our children will become protected. Our children will experience lesser and lesser harm year after year as we transform and use our own space and leverage our own power, our positionality, our privileges to be able to transform the work that we do in international schools. So I think the big next goal is that for all of us to, to think, how can we create ecosystems in our own schools where every child truly matter? Really, really inspirational, Joel. Uh, and I love the the idea of the collective coming together to make change and, and make a difference. Let's jump into some quick fire questions. The first thing that comes to your head in a, in a brief why, what's your favorite education book or resource? Yeah, um, I've, I've been so deeply inspired by the work of Bettina Love. We want to do more than survive framework on abolitionist teaching. She really speaks about um, the concept of mattering the concept of the beloved community, the concept that is really deeply grounded on, our work as educators is deeply grounded on ensuring the humanizing power of education. And so the work of Bettina Love, uh, We Want to Do More Than Survive, is one. And of course, it, it, there are so many others as well. You know, the book of Isabel Wilkerson is truly powerful. Goldie Mohammed's work on cultivating genius. I love her work on that to be able to see the joy and genius in all of our kids. Yeah, I love it. We'll make sure the links to all of these are in the podcast notes as well, Joel. What's your go-to edtech tool that the listeners need to try? I am, as I mentioned to you earlier, Craig, I am a very low <laughs> edtech um, person, but um, I think I, I really rely on Canva um, just because it's 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 cool, it's quirky, it's it, it's fun, it's got really exciting um, exciting frameworks and and things that I can use when I prepare some uh, presentations, and so I, I I rely on Canva quite heavily. It's a great tool, <laughs> it really is. What's one daily habit or practice, Joel, that helps you enjoy, progress, and succeed in your career? To me, it's like we have been so conditioned to, you know, that whole idea of like, we need to fill in our time during the day for work, 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 work. And we, we, there is this whole proclivity for busy, like trying to kind of make sure that we look busy, we appear busy, we are busy. It's like we meet people on the road. It's like, how are you? Oh, I'm so busy. The over-glorification of busy is to our detriment. And to me, one thing that really helps me enjoy and enjoy my day is to be able to really have a walk, a daily walk to the coffee shop. And that, I'm very I'm privileged to be able to have a coffee shop in our own building. But at the same time, it's like a good three-minute walk to get to the other side of the building here at iScale. And to me, that walk allows me to see at least three or five other people. And then when you get to the coffee shop to be able to see other people as well, to me, that is, that is, that is a joyful experience for me. And then after that, it's like, yes, I can, I can continue. I can thrive again. I can do something again. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> it's really cool. Joel, you've shared so much here today. 
uh, and I know that the listeners are going to want to follow and connect with you. What's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, I am. I am quite active on on Twitter, and um, I connect through that. But I'm also very much engaged in our um, community through the Association of International Educators and Leaders of Color, led by Kevin Simpson. It is it's a powerful space for not only for BIPOC individuals at our national school, but also for our white allies and co-conspirators. There's so many of us there in our community at ALOC where we have a regular event and sessions and community visioning on how we can be we can be anti-racist educators how we can be a more transformative, how we can we can partner with people in, in transforming our communities into becoming more um, grounded in diversity, equity, inclusion, justice, and belonging. This is, and this is also an invitation for all leaders in international schools or in national and state schools to, to join ALOC and be, be in solidarity with, with our community as we um, work towards more um, equitable world. Amazing, Joel. Thank you so much for your time today. Inspirational as always. Craig, thank you so much for this opportunity to be able to connect and chat with you. To everybody out there listening, thank you for whatever work that you're doing, whether big or small, there's no, it's not quantifiable anyway, you know, the work that we do in school is the work that we do on DEIJ. Really, thank you for the opportunity to be a part of this experience, to chat with you about it, to share a message to, to the community. We look forward to connecting folks in our shared work together. Next week, join me for episode 98 of the Ignite EdTech podcast, when I'm joined by Steve Sostak, the last episode before we head off on a break. Want to win a prize? Enter now at bit.ly slash edtechwin and we'll regularly announce winners of incredible prizes. If you enjoyed today's episode, please follow us and share the podcast with your PLN and colleagues. Please remember to spend a few minutes to rate this podcast too on your podcast channel of choice so we can reach even more educators and edtech enthusiasts globally. Remember, you have the chance to win as well. Check out the links in the description for more, and I'll see you again next week. If you liked today's episode, please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss another episode. And be in the drawing to win prizes every week. If you know others that would enjoy the show, please hit that share button and brighten their day. Join us again next week for your weekly EdTech hit with at Mr. Kemp NZ. We'll see you again soon.